Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. I am pumped to be with you guys this morning. I am so excited. And man, as we were worshiping, I was just getting fired up. I was like, man, let's let's get after it. Let's get after the Word. So guys, man, today we're just continuing in our series called Go, Capturing the Go of God. And we are going, we, we are challenged. This is the heart of God. This is the heart of God. And so we want, we want to go after the heart of God. We don't want to rob ourselves of our purpose. So we're right in the middle of this series called Go, Capturing the Go of God. And today we're going to be looking at John chapter 8, um, verses 2 through 11. This is a well-known portion of Scripture. Um, many of you guys have read it multiple times. But let's throw it up there and let's read it. I'll be reading out of the um, NIV. It says, At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? This is a tricky, tricky thing because at this point in time, the Romans stepped into history, stepped, uh, took over Israel, and they actually revoked um, Israel's ability of capital punishment. So Israel did not, uh, the, the, the priests and everything, they actually couldn't carry out the, what the law demanded. So it was a trap. So if Jesus said, yeah, let's stone her, then he would be breaking Roman law, and then the Romans would arrest Jesus and then take Jesus out of their hair. But if Jesus said, no, let's not stone her, then he would be disobeying the law of Moses, and then they would arrest Jesus and get... So it was a trap for Jesus. They're constantly trying to trap Jesus. I always think it's funny when it says, like, the teachers of the law, experts in the law would come before Jesus... Because what they don't realize is Jesus is the law. He's the author of the thing. It says in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is the Word of God, and they're quoting the Word of God to the Word of God. They're using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. This is the only point in all the Gospels where it says that Jesus wrote anything. And we don't know what he wrote. Leave it to God to write his divine thoughts on dirt. Yet we as men want to carve our thoughts into marble on brass. Jesus wrote on dirt. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, At this, those who heard begin to go away one at a time, 
the older ones first until Jesus was the only one left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go and leave your life of sin. Some translations would say, Go and sin no more. This is a pretty stout go. We established last week that God commands us to go. Go into all the world. God tells us to go approximately 1,542 times in the Bible. He only tells us 62 times to stay. This is a big deal. God cares about our go. How do we go? Where do we go? What do we do with the go? The biggest go he gave us is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But before we can really go into all the world and preach the gospel, we have to go and sin no more. And I've I read a lot of commentaries because this is a this is an interesting uh, section of scripture. And with that being an interesting section of scripture, there's a lot of opinions about what Jesus meant when he said, "Go and sin no more." And I think a lot of them are far fetched. And I know that commentary writers they're much smarter than me, so I, I'll I'll grant you that they have a lot of letters in front of their name that I don't have, like Dr. and um, theologian and just different things like that. And they have a lot of letters after them, their name that I don't have. So they're much smarter than I am. But they would say, well, surely God didn't really mean go and sin no more. Like maybe he just meant like go and try to live a better life, all this stuff. But I'm going to submit to you today that maybe God didn't stutter in what he said. Maybe God wasn't messing around. Maybe Jesus didn't mistake his words or meant anything else other than what he said. I'm going to submit to you today, he actually meant what he said. He said, go and sin no more. And so this command is stout. This is not an easy thing to do. But this is the only way to change life. And so in order for us to go and sin no more, in order for us to walk out this command, this go, I'm going to pose a few questions to us today. And I, I want you to think about them. I want you to process them. And ultimately, I want the Holy Spirit to transform you through them. The first question I want to submit to you is, what am I allowing to take root in my life? Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. What am I allowing to take root in my life? Second Peter 1.3 tells us, By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of Him who called us, by His own glory and goodness. Everything that we need to live a life that glorifies God has been given to us through the resurrection, through the death and resurrection, and through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. But what happens is we allow stuff to take root in us, and then we don't address it. We don't address it. This woman clearly allowed something to take root in her in order for it to get to the point of adultery. So I pulled a lot of weeds in my life. In fact, at my last position, the first couple years, that was fell under the other categories as assigned. You know, every 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 pastor has this little 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 clause 
that it's like in other categories as a sign. And I think lead pastors often use that as a way to, um, as a way of saying, I don't want to do that job, so I'm going to make my staff people do it. I'm not saying that Pastor Chris did that, because he pulled weeds with me, but some pastors do that. And um, I had this clause, and my last church, we had a lot of gardens, and um, I pulled weeds a lot, a lot. In fact, to, to the point where it wasn't like one or two a week, I would spend hours, and Amy would come in, especially when we first got married, we would, we would come in, and we would fill up 33-gallon bags of weeds, like every other week, and like it was so dumb, and guys, don't worry, I've noticed the weeds here, I'm working on it, don't like, well, yeah, we got weeds here, you need to pull those too, all right, buddy, you already got that on your resume. No, I, I, don't worry, don't worry, I, I got you. I see him. Don't worry. The real pastor will be back next week. <laughs> Why is that youth pastor being on the stage again? Um, but I pulled a lot of weeds, and I, <laughs> I hate weeds. Like if, if the, I, I think weeds are grown in hell, and they sprout up through the surface. And have you guys ever noticed how resilient weeds are, you have to notice. They take root faster, and then they sprout up sooner. Like you plant something intentionally in your garden, and you have to like water it for months and months and months, and then you just see one little sprout. But man, someone mowing three doors down can like knock a dandelion into your yard, and suddenly you have 50,000 dandelions. Like what is up with that? Weeds take root faster and then they sprout up sooner. And then another crazy thing is they'll kill what you're trying to plant. If you let weeds in your garden, they'll eventually take over and they'll kill what's supposed to be there. And so what I started doing was I would pull the weeds up and I would use my pocket knife, I'd use a little spades. I would try to dig up as much of the root as I could. But the thing is, some of the weeds that we dealt with, if you didn't get every little like subdivision of that root, it would come right back. Two weeks later, the weed would be back. And if you didn't get the whole root out, if the whole root did not die, the weed would come back. And I would get so sick. I, 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 I would actually have these big old knee pads because my knees would swell like crazy. I would be, spend so much time digging these weeds out all the way around the church. And finally, I got smarter and started empowering students to help me. I'm like, all right, guys, if you help me, man, you're going to get a free Ignite t-shirt, okay? You know, I would, I would bribe them, and, and, uh, and we, would, we would pull weeds together. And finally, I was like, you know what? This is dumb. This is the dumbest thing in the world. I have to do something about this. And so I would take, and I would, I went to Walmart, and at my house, this is how I deal with weeds at my house, and my, my wife hates it, and I'm not going to do that to this property because we're in a subdivision, but all the other places I lived, we weren't, and I would go get ground clear, and everywhere I weed eat, I would spray with ground clear, because I don't like weed eating either, um, so I would, I would just, I would clear the ground, I would just, like, along the fence line, I would kill all the grass, like, like, if my mower couldn't get it, then it was getting ground clear on it, and then I would, I, I would, I would, I would spray around trees. Amy's like, it looks so ugly. I'm like, do you want to weed eat? You know? <laughs> and she was like, no. I'm like, then I'm okay with brown grass around trees. 
And uh, don't worry, I'm not going to do that here. Tennessee's too pretty. I still hate weeds, though. Uh, but I would spray ground clear, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to take this to the church. I sprayed enough ground clear on those weeds of the church to kill a rainforest. I want you to understand, like, gallons upon this. And, like, then I would mix it. Like, you're supposed to put, like, one ounce to, like, 15 gallons. I would put, like, a whole thing to, like, one gallon. And I'm like, dude, this is, like, I'm killing plants in China. I want you to understand this. This is how much ground clear I'm using to kill these weeds. But the crazy thing is, within a couple days, it would start to turn brown, but you had to let the you had to let it completely die in order to pull it out. Because if you if you pulled it out before the root died, then the weed would come back. And then yeah, it turned brown for a little bit and it wouldn't be dead. And any of us who have ever dealt with weeds understand that the root is a problem. There's always a root to an issue. And there's things that take root in our life. And sometimes we don't even notice because it can be so subtle. If, if you mow a lawn and you keep it short, it looks really nice. But what I've noticed about my lawn is that there's a lot of dandelions in it. But when it's cut, it's not like that. It looks nice. But what I have to do with my lawn is I'm going to have to take and, and, and spread weed killer that doesn't kill grass like in one of those push things because if I don't take care of it, it's just going to spread. Dandelions um, spread, and especially with my daughter. She'll be like, can I go pick a flower? I'm like, yeah, let's go pick a flower. I turn around, she's just blowing dandelions. Like, I'm like, no. My son's over there just sticking them in his mouth. Like, oh, you know, but he puts everything in his mouth. The other day I looked down. I wasn't paying attention. He had a piece of uh, uh, mulch in his mouth. He's like, ah, ah. I'm like, yeah, it tastes gross. Stop putting stuff in your mouth, dude. Um, but Jesus wants to deal with the root. He wants to deal with root, the root because if, if we don't deal with roots that are in our life, that same thing that we're struggling with, bitterness, unforgiveness, lust, is going to keep coming back. You're going to deal with it your whole life. The same voice that tempts you is the same voice that condemns you. And if you don't give it to Jesus, then you're just going to keep dealing with it. And God doesn't just want to cover things up. Because you can pull weeds out and it's going to look good. But if you don't take care of the root, it's just going to be covered up. It's going to pop right back up. Uh, when I was in high school, my house did this number. Boop. It just kind of went down a little bit, our foundation cracked, and it was on the end of my parents, so I don't know if that's a sign for them, but I'm just saying, <laughs> Mom, if you ever listen to this, I love you. But my dad being a construction worker, he, uh, he wasn't okay with, like, because the crazy thing is it messed up our sheetrock. It messed up everything in our house. We could have put spackle up and then repainted, and then we could have took some like wet cement and filled in the cracks because it actually cracked the brick. You could see it. It was like an inch and a half at the top, and then the foundation was cracked. We could have covered it up. And from the naked eye, maybe glancing, you probably wouldn't have noticed it. You would have looked at it, and you thought, you know what? That's a nice house. But if you didn't deal with the foundation of the issue, it would have just cracked some more. So 
what my dad and I ended up doing was we got a backhoe and we dug up under the foundation in about 15 different spots. And then we, we took and got steel plates and put it on the bottom of the foundation and then we dug out holes and we, we, we poured concrete in the bottom of these holes and we got about 15, as many holes as we had, we got that many 20-ton jacks. And we literally jacked our house up. We, we literally jacked it up. And we raised our, the whole end of our house up to where it was level. And it, it literally, you could see that whole, it went, mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, that's kind of cool. But we jacked our house up. And then we had to sink steel spires into the ground and then build uh, things to hold it. And now you can't even tell. But if we would have just covered up the, the issue on the foundation, we would have had the same problem. God doesn't just want to give you a facelift. God wants to fix your foundation. And Jesus isn't okay with sin in our lives. He's not okay. The cool thing about Jesus is he isn't afraid to address the heart of the issue. He's not afraid to address the heart of the issue. This woman was brought before him, and she was thrown down, caught in the act of adultery. And he gets up. He doesn't doesn't say anything but one thing. And he says, let him without sin cast the first stone. But he also didn't ignore the sin. Too often in the church today, we're too good at masking and treating our symptoms without ever dealing with the root. We can't do that. I get migraines a lot. And uh, I take migraine medicine. But 90% of my migraines are either caused because I don't eat enough. I know you can't tell. But um, I don't eat enough or I get dehydrated. I just forget to drink stuff during the day. So I try try to be intentional about this because guess what? I really don't enjoy migraines. I don't know if you guys do, but I I don't like, you know what? I'm not going to drink any water for about four days, see if I can work up a migraine. It's been a while. You know, I don't do that. I don't enjoy migraines. But... When I do get a migraine, I take medicine for it. But if I don't start hydrating myself or eating, then I will, I will just mask the pain. It might duel it, but it will just come. It, it, will, it will never go away. It'll, sometimes I'll get migraines bad enough to where it will make me nauseous or I'll see black spots. And, but, the, but the thing is, what I do is I'll start chugging water, and I'll start chugging water, and I'll start chugging water because that's the issue. And... Believe it or not, water treats my migraine so much faster than migraine medicine. It, it, my, migraine medicine helps with the pain, but water treats the source. The source of my migraine is dehydration. The effect of my migraine is pain in my head and nausea. We are too often good at treating symptoms of sin and not treating the source of our sin. In in ministry, I can't tell you how many times I've dealt with people that came to me and they're saying, I'm depressed. I'm suicidal. I'm dealing with this. And I ask, why are you depressed? And 
nine times out of ten, they will say, I'm filled with condemnation. I'm ashamed of the things that I'm dealing with. I'm ashamed of what's going on in my life. I'm ashamed. And so they, they think the source of their depression is the shame. That's a side effect of the, depre- uh, of the, the shame is depression or, or condemnation. So there's an there's a old saying that I used in, in student ministry, and it's held true in dealing with all sorts of people. But behind every why, there's a lie. What, what's, what people normally tell me for their why is not usually the why. There's usually something else going on there. So I'll ask them, why are you feeling shame? Now we're getting somewhere. And nine times out of ten, it's usually pornography, sexual sin, but boils down to sin in their lives. And a lot of times, Christians don't understand how can a loving God see me through this because they believe the lies of the enemy. They've listened to the voice of a religious people, just like these Pharisees, caught this woman in the act of adultery. Technically, the law calls for both the male and female to be stoned. Where was the male at this? They, they, they wanted to trap Jesus. They threw the female down before Jesus and said, this woman was caught. Well, it takes two to tango. I'm 90% sure. And they throw her down. And all she's hearing is a condemnation. And that's what religion does. That's what the law does. That's what what the church so often does, is they condemn. But Jesus, in John chapter 1, it says that he was full of grace and truth. Too often we're either full of truth or full of grace. Jesus could have said, well, neither do I condemn you. See you later. Or he could have said, no, you're right. She deserves to be stoned, but he was full of grace and truth. We, as a church, we need to be full of grace and truth. Grace comes first and truth. We speak truth in love. We we have to operate in grace, and we have to operate in truth. We can't ignore sin, but we can't condone sin. But at the same time, we have to love people. But we're too quick to condemn you notice that Jesus didn't actually disagree with their judgment. He didn't. He never disagreed with what the law said. He disagreed with their condemnation. I ask myself a lot, do I look more like a Pharisee or do I look like a Jesus? Because what a Pharisee does is the Pharisee says, this is what the Bible says, I'm not going to, um, this is what the law says, blah, 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 and I'm going to stand on it, and you're wrong, and I'm right. And grace says, God loves you. This is, and grace and truth says, God loves you. This is what the Bible says. I'm going to stand on what he says, but God still loves you through it, and you can't out God's love. So God wants a relationship. There is repentance. So are we full of grace and truth? Jesus was full of grace and truth. What are we allowing to take root in our life? We often, we often confuse in the church condemnation and conviction. Conviction is the act of God to bring sin to our attention so we can repent over it. Condemnation is something Satan uses to point out our flaws. 
All the law does is point out sin in your life. We need the law because without the law, we wouldn't know we're sinners. But grace says, yes, you are a sinner. And the law is powerless to help us to live righteously. It can't. It can't fix any of us. But grace and the cross say, you know what? You can't, but I did for you. So I want a relationship with you so that you can have a relationship with the Father. Our job as a church is to connect people with Jesus who connects people with the Father. But what are we allowing to take root in our life? Are we full of judgment and condemnation? Because I could tell you, I don't know what Jesus wrote, and I'm not going to speculate what Jesus wrote. There's a lot of people that speculate about what Jesus wrote. I could tell you what he said, though, and we know what he said because he said it. It says, let him without sin cast the first stone. And I could tell you, there's a lot of, there's a lot of misinterpretation of what go, what's going on in let, what, let him without sin be the first to cast a stone. Because I could tell you what a lot of people say it means. Well, you can't judge me. A lot of people say, well, only God can judge me. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. And I want us to be careful here. Hear me out very carefully. I don't want us to be a church that walks around and judges people, but the Bible does tell us that if we see a brother or sister that is in sin, that we should go to them and restore them gently. How can we know what they're doing is sin if we don't first judge that it is sin by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit? So we have to judge people's fruits. What are they producing in their lives in order to restore people to a relationship with their life? And the only time the Bible tells us that we can judge people is to restore them to the Father, to restore them, walk beside them. Too often, we walk around and we think that we could just judge people. But if we're judging people without the intention of saying, how can I help them in their walk be restored to Christ, then we're, we're, we're calling down judgment on ourselves. The Bible tells us... if. The measure with which we judge, we will be judged. But the Bible also never, the Bible also tells us we're not supposed to condemn. Jesus is essentially telling the Pharisees when he says, let him without sin be the first to cast a stone. He essentially says, none of you guys have the right to condemn this woman. For a number of reasons. Number one, Jesus is the only sinless and righteous person that ever walked the face of the earth. Jesus, condemnation is reserved for God. Only God can condemn, condemn sin because he's the only person holy enough to condemn sin. But also, sin was so rampant, adultery was so rampant in the time of Christ that the Jewish people quit condemning it. So the fact that they brought this woman before Jesus was an anomaly. It was a, it was a setup from the start. Because technically they should have brought both, the male and female. It was, it was a farce. And Jesus addresses this. He says, you guys are just as much a sinner as this person. Who do you think you are condemning her? I'm not saying that we walk around like, oh, it's all grace all the time. But the Bible does tell us in Romans 8.1, those who are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation. 
There are some of us in here condemning ourselves when Jesus took what you did to the cross and nailed it there. There are some of us in here that condemn ourselves. We say, how can God love me because I'm dealing with he can and he does. The most popular scripture in the whole Bible, does anyone know it? Come on, say it. Someone. John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We so often forget the two verses that follow John 3.16. And I almost think that John 3.17 is almost as good news, if not better news, than John 3.16. Because it reads, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. But we can't leave it there. We have to go on and read verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. There is one way to walk away from condemnation in your life, and it's to submit to Jesus Christ. But too often we just want to cover up and we want to pull off the top of the weeds and not address the root of the issue. Jesus gets to the root of the issue with this woman caught in adultery. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So he exercises grace and then he turns around and exercises truth. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. So my question this morning, the first question is, what am I allowing to take root in my life? And what is the Lord wanting to uproot in my life? Because he wanted to uproot a life of sin in this woman caught in adultery. He was not okay with it. Jesus addressed the Pharisees' condemnation of the person. At the end of the day, though, we all need the same three nails, the same cross, the same tomb, the same man that died for us for the same sin that we all face. We all need it. So what am I allowing to take root in my life? Is it bitterness? Is it depression? Is it sin? Are we addressing symptoms? What am I allowing to take root in my life? Jesus isn't okay with things taking root in our life that don't glorify him. The second question I want to uh, ask ourselves today, what am I hiding from God? What am I hiding from God in my life? This woman was caught in the act of adultery. This tells us a couple things. Number one, this was a secret. She wasn't a prostitute. Um, prostitutes in Christ's time, they didn't hide the fact that they were prostitutes. In fact, prostitution was quite legal in the Roman time of Christ. So she wasn't a prostitute. And they wouldn't have stoned a prostitute. This woman had a husband. This woman might have been a respectable member of the community. She was caught, so was hiding. She was hiding it. She was hiding her sin. What's so humorous about the scripture is the Pharisees thought they had Jesus trapped. They thought they had the woman condemned. 
and they thought they were about to win. They thought they were about to defeat God. I, I, I don't know if you ever think about, like, there are so many times in the Gospels where they tried to trap Jesus. And it's always so humorous to go back and read that these, the foolishness of <laughs> the wisdom of man is, is just foolishness to God. Just, Jesus just like, all right, well, you know, you think you could trap me. Let's, let's talk about it. And he just makes the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law look like fools. Well, what's so beautiful about this encounter is that Jesus wasn't shocked by the sin. Jesus isn't shocked by sin in your life. I don't care how long you've had it hidden. I don't care how good you look on the surface. Jesus isn't shocked about it. That's good news. That's real good news. Because Jesus wants us to give it to him. We so often get this picture of this encounter because of movies like Passion of the Christ or the Jesus movie and stuff like that where this they throw this woman on the ground in front of Jesus and she's in nice clothes and she's knelt down crying, reaching out for Jesus' feet type of thing. We get this picture of what's going on. But I, I don't think it was like that. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. I don't know about you, but usually there's less clothes involved. The Pharisees were looking for a shock and awe moment. They threw this woman down in front of Jesus, in front of everyone at the temple courts. They wanted to shock people. They wanted to trap Jesus. They wanted, they wanted Jesus to be overthrown. They wanted people to walk away. I can't believe this. What's shocking is what Jesus did. Full of grace and truth, he was not shocked by the sin presented him. He was not shocked at the moment that she got thrown in front of him. In fact, he never even addressed her till the very end. He ignored the very thing that they're trying to shock him with and he addressed the condemnation. What are we hiding from God in our lives? This woman was hiding sin. The Bible says what happens in dark will eventually come to the light. It's better that we just give it to Jesus. It's better just to give it to him than let it be exposed. Because if you're sinning, if you, have, if you have secret sin, if you have things that you're dealing with, and maybe it's not even sin, but maybe it's something that God's been saying, you really need to lay this down. Maybe it's anger, maybe it's um, unforgiveness, maybe it's bitterness, maybe it's depression. There's things that you're dealing with that God's saying, lay down. And you keep hiding it. People ask you Sunday after Sunday, how are you? And you're like, oh, I'm fine. Right as rain. Why is it that in the body of Christ, I'm not, I mean, so, some of you guys honestly are fine and right as rain, which is good, praise God, you know, like, yeah, but, but why is it we think that we can't confess things to one another? This, that's what this body's for. We've got to edify each other. The Bible says um, we confess our sins one to another that we can be healed. Some, God wants to heal us, but we've been ho holding things that's holding up our healing. James tells us, we confess our sins one to another so we can be healed. So we confess 
our sins to God so we can, over, so we can have authority and power over, over the sin in our life, but we confess our sins one to another so we can have authority and power over the habit of sin in our life. You want to get free from habitual sin? Get, uh, get accountability. That's what the Bible teaches. One man, uh, just as uh, iron sharpens iron, so does one man to another. We sharpen each other. We edify each other. We build each other up. But what we're doing when we keep things hidden that the Lord says, bring it to light, we're, just play, we're playing right into the enemy's playbook. This woman would have continued her life a sin. It would have eventually led to her death. It would eventually have led to her death if she didn't give it to Jesus. If she would have gave it to anyone else, she would have gave it to anyone else, it would have led to death. But she had to, the, the sin had to be brought to Jesus so, that we, so she could be set free. We had to bring things to Jesus so we can be set free. Jesus isn't shocked by what's going on in your heart. Jesus isn't shocked by what's going on in your life. Jesus isn't shocked. Sometimes when in dealing with students, they, they don't understand how a loving God can love them through what they're doing. How can a loving God love me um, when I'm hooked on this? How can a loving God love me because I have drugs? How can a loving God love me? I, I, I've dealt with students that have cut marks all up and down their arms. I've dealt with students that have burn marks all over their body. And they say, how can a loving God love me? I just... God loves you regardless, and he's not shocked by what's going on. So often, we tell them what they need to hear, but if we don't get them to Jesus, then we've failed. Satan's playbook is to keep everything in dark so we can control your condemnation, so we can control your depression, so we can control everything like that in your life. He wants to keep you depressed, believe it or not. He wants to keep you oppressed. He wants to rob you of joy. But the John, 1 John chapter 1 says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So when we bring our, our sin to God and to each other, suddenly God shines light on it, and we literally rip Satan's playbook away from him. I've had students that struggle with pornography for years, and they come to me and they confess it. And the first thing I do is, oh, no, I don't do that. <laughs> no, I'm like, dude. Praise God, I'm so happy for you. And God loves you, and he, you know, he's forgiven you. He's already forgiven you of that sin. I said, but we need to go talk to your dad. We need to go talk to your mom. And they're like, oh, no, I can't do that. I'm like, dude, believe me. Like, your dad was once young, too. He understands. And I make them walk up, and I walk with them, stand right in front of their parents and say, Mom, Dad, I've been struggling with pornography, and I've never seen a parent go, <laughs> no, they just wrap them in their arms, love them, and say, you come to me. You come to me. So we get the kid accountability. And now I've had kids that they've had to be taken off of the praise and worship team for a season, but then they've walked in freedom for, from it. And then their dad's like, yeah, let's put them back on the praise and worship team. Let's, and, and the cool thing is, the cool thing is, they're walking in freedom over something that the enemy tried to bring shame, brought um, condemnation. But, but it all started with confessing. It all started with bringing it to light. What are we hiding? I think it's so humorous that we could think we could hide anything from a God that knows all things. What are we fooling? How are we fooling ourselves? God knows all things. 
how do you, what do we think we're doing when we say, oh, I'm going to keep this to myself? God's either Lord of all your life or Lord of none your life. He doesn't want part submission. He wants all submission. He doesn't expect you to be perfect, but he wants you to be fully submitted. The same voice that condemns you is the same, the same voice that tempts you is the same voice that condemns you. Some of us are dealing with temptation. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. There's clearly temptation there. There is clearly something. Like, I don't know if the guy pursued her or she pursued the guy, but there is a temptation where she's like, you know what, I'm going to go after this moment. And she pursued it. And then suddenly it became sin. And then suddenly that same voice that tempted her turned around and said, who do you think you are? I can't believe you did this. You aren't a woman of God. You're not a man of God. The same voice that tempts you is the same voice that condemns you. But praise be to God that there's a voice that says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus isn't ignoring anything here. But he walks full of grace and truth, and he commands us to go and sin no more. So what I want to do today, I want us, I want us to find a place to pray. There are people here that need to confess sin. There are people here that need to confess. Maybe it's not sin, but you need to confess it. You need to get it off. You need to get it out. The Bible says we're saved when we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart. There is something about confessing that, that sets free. I listened to a message last night, and it talked about how there's victory in our mouth. And I thought, wow, that's powerful. The Bible tells us to speak in faith. You know, you, you want to have victory? Man, start speaking victory in your life. Start thanking God. Lord, I know I'm struggling with this, but Lord, I thank you for the victory that you gave me through your cross over this sin. Lord, I thank you right now for the victory over my finances. I know I'm struggling right now, but I thank you that your word is true, that, that there's victory in this. Lord, I thank you. Start declaring in faith and see what God does. But there's something about confession 